Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of June 12, 2016. Sound Prince is packed this week, so we'll just let you know that Tony Stevens from the ACB Alexandria office is on page two updating us on the accessible currency situation and proposed expansion of audio description on TV. Muhammad Ali, born Cassius Clay, was from Louisville. Oral Miller called this week, suggesting that we bring you a look at the Muhammad Ali events taking place here in Louisville the past few days. On page 3 is a montage of information, news stories, and emails that will let you share a bit of this incredible celebration of Muhammad Ali's life. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Tony Stevens is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs with the American Council of the Blind. Tony is visiting with us today to talk about both accessible currency and audio description. Tony, we welcome you to Sound Prince. And please begin by giving us a little bit of history concerning the court case surrounding accessible currency that was brought by the American Council of the Blind in 2002 and settled in 2008. About a month and a half ago, there was a lot of news around uh, even the new currency designs, you know, that would have women and, and sort of civil rights leaders put on the currency as well. So. It wasn't just us that was looking forward to the new round of currency, but last month we, we received word in an update that the U.S. Treasury Department made to the court that they would be postponing to 2026. Uh, this, we felt like, since the initial decision was from 2006, that kind of said, look, you guys got to do this, uh, was two decades after what you know we thought was going to be five, seven years. Mm-hmm. ACB feels firmly that that's just unacceptable in a sense that there, there's got to be a way that they can get this thing moving. And, and we don't understand the delays. The, the government says due to counterfeiting measures uh, or advancements in counterfeiting, they are uh, you know, needing to work through some issues. And, and so that's the thing that's the major pushback in the, in the deadline. Uh, what's interesting was when we filed the case in 2000. Uh, and, and two, and then working through it all the way to the decision in 2008, you know, we came to learn that typically government every seven to ten years has on its calendar to try to push out new currency specifically to fight and combat counterfeiting. So it even more kind of perplexes us that, you know, they can't expedite or work things out so that they're not only going without the accessible currency, but a significant time has passed, you know, it, it, just in the new currency it, it, that's out there now, mm-hmm. and so we think that's you know that's not really helping combat counterfeiting if you're going to have current issues drag themselves out as well into 2026. So that's the history. Most recently, what we've done this week in U.S. federal court was to file a, a motion, and what the motion calls for is the, the judge who, who ruled, you know, who's been sort of overseeing this case and, and, you know, ruled in 2008 to essentially require the, the Department of Treasury to hit the deadline 
of December 31st, uh, 2020. Um, you know, we feel that... that this needs to get done. Uh, the the thing that leveraged us to get this taken into consideration and, and win in the courts was around Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, which says, you know, the federal government must have all of its programs and policies accessible to people with disabilities. That was passed in 1973. Yes. So that's 40, you know, that's mm-hmm. 43 years ago now. Right. That'll be over 50 years since the Rehab Act was passed. We will finally get accessible currency. Well, when they say the wheels of government grind slowly, uh, this gives all new definition to that statement. So um, I'm, I'm really pleased that, not pleased that we had to do this, but at some point you just have to make a statement. You, you just have to say we've had enough. I think it's, it's good that we are pushing back here. And uh, and 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 saying, you know, we're 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 prepared to take further steps to to try to to rectify the situation. Well, it is it is in a sense. I mean, it's still one of the issues that I face. You know, we don't use cash as much like we used to because of the convenience around cards and debit cards and things like that. But you still but, use cash. But we still do use cash, and it's it's honestly it's one of the things that is still I find personally as someone who's blind is still a barrier. Mm-hmm. You know, where I'm constantly asking, okay, what's what? You know, you have to really place your trust in people, and the world is full of good people. Um, but there have been times when I've I've ended up short of how much money I thought I had. I thought I was pretty good at math. <laughs> you know, and they have like the, the the government has done, and one of the things we talk about in our in our motion and, uh, to the court. Uh, that are filing to the court for the motion, is, you know, they have the, the electronic currency readers, which has been a, a program that has gotten hardly into the number of hands as they wanted to of Americans. You know, mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. it's a, a fraction of Americans, uh, you know, who who are blind of the total population in this country. Mm-hmm. But then, too, they're very cumbersome. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you can have out, especially I have a service dog, my guide dog, you know, you're trying to hold in one hand that, and you're trying to hold your currency in the other. You know, I don't even have one or use them because I just find them very inefficient, very unreliable. They're and a not hassle. in the settings you need to use them. So, yeah. you know, we, we believe that the government will probably say, well, you know, we've got these things out there that you can use, and that, that should be in and of itself good enough, right? And our answer is not necessarily. You know, maybe it works for some people, but they're not when you look at how we use cash, and even more with like kiosks and things like that, where sometimes there's not even humans around to give you assistance. Well, uh, you, know. you know, Tony, if you're in a crowd, I don't care where you are, if you're in a crowd and you're trying to pay for something, whether it's at a mall, whether mm-hmm. it's at a grocery store, or, or whether it's just in a, a chapter meeting, yeah. um, if, if you're using cash, it's usually... You know, there's there's noise around. Um, you're in a hurry. Uh, every Friday we have a chapter activity here in Louisville, and people who come to dinner pay $5 for dinner. When dinner is over, I or someone else in the group goes around and collects the $5 per person for people who ate dinner. And even in that group of 20 to 30 people, sometimes as many as 40, uh, you know, there's a lot of chatter there's a lot of talk, and you're anxious. You're you're pushing to get to other activities, and you just don't have time to take to use an eye bill, or 
to even, you know, we all have iPhones, and there's money money identification apps for the iPhone, and, and just taking the time to have to look at each bill, I just don't do it. Mm-hmm. I walk around, and people say, here's a five, and I take the five, and, you know, if there's a mistake now and then, I'm very frustrated, and I'm very upset, and if, it, and if it's short, and, I've, and it's my fault because I didn't check the bill, then I make up the difference. But, you know, it is irritating to have to to have to do that when it could be so simple to just have, if we had a tactile definition of that bill, right on the bill. And, you know, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing has been working hard throughout this whole process to to try to figure out what's the best tactile, what's the least intrusive in the sense Mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, how you stack money and and how you make the money and all that stuff. You know, they've been working hard and focus grouping it. I was part of a focus group last December and, and uh, you know, it's I we're ready for it. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like we've we've gotten to a point where it's it's pretty much there. Yeah. Um. We just we just, just need needs the, the to get to done. On it. Yeah. Yeah. They need to get at it is, and get it done. You know, cash is the currency of convenience in a sense right. nowadays. Right. Where it's just oh, a couple dollars now. I don't want to pull out my credit card. Um. In a public setting, I just exactly. got a few dollars in my pocket, something like that. You know, you got some in your pocket. Uh, or maybe you broke a 20 and then you got like five and in your pie or something and you're just ready to pay for something quickly. You know, mm-hmm. you just want to get out of there. You don't want to deal with waiting for the credit card machine or something like that. Right. Or like if you're in a taxi and, and you know, and it's not accessible machines for, right. for taxis, cabs, or things like that. Right. So it's, it's you know, it's it's sort of the currency of convenience now. But the system of electronic, you know, e- e-bill readers and things like that is, is inconvenient. So... Yes. Uh, you know, our hope is that the judge will, will see in our favor and, right. and, and move to, to bring the deadline to where it was just a few months ago right. before we got this sort of shell shock. And the court is kind of you know, like the media. Any currency till 2026. True. The court is kind of like the media. You never know exactly yeah. what's going to happen um, when you have a story in the media. You're not that, that a reporter is writing. You're never exactly sure what they're going to write um, with the court. I mean, this is a different mm-hmm. judge because the judge that had this case before is retired. And so, you know, you're never sure what you're, mm-hmm. what's going to happen. But there comes a point where you have to take that step and just say, you know, we're going to, we, we know we're right. And so we're going to, we're going to move forward and we, we hope the judge sees it our way. Mm-hmm. Hopefully so. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's what we're fighting for right now. Right. So it's, it's definitely... You know, one of the things that's most iconic with government is its currency. Yes. A particular nation. And, and, you know, again, 2026 will be 53 years after the Rehabilitation Act. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's that's in a sense of what, you know, it's not the, the 2008 or it's not from the 2020. Right. But it's just the idea that we will have gone through three generations, essentially. Yes. Of Since the Rehab Act of inaccessible currency. Yes. So we wish yeah. they would have done this in the 70s. Right. But here we are. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Another topic that has been out there this spring and, um, and, and actually been talked about a lot over the years, and now there's an opportunity to see it expand even more than uh, what the, the CVAA, the, the legislation in 2010, um, mm-hmm. called for, and, and that's video descript- audio description. Uh, let's talk about the 
notice of proposed rulemaking that's been issued uh, concerning audio description. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. So the notice of proposed rulemaking, or what's known as an NPRM, is is the government's process to when a law is passed to, to make the regulations or the rules of the law. So, you know, the law only says so much, but then you've got to really unpack it and make everything work. Right. So the NPRM is like the directions for government on how to get stuff like the CVAA, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, in, into the homes of Americans. Right. Uh, originally, there was, you know, roughly, you know, five hours of programming should be audio described on major networks, four top four major networks, which everyone knows are the Fox, the CBS, the ABC, and NBC. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and you would have that five hours a week, you know, during prime time programming of mm-hmm. that programming. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, uh, just the end of last month in May, the the Federal Communications Commission released this NPRM to essentially expand the audio description. So they're going to go now from five to seven hours, uh, roughly, a week, or it needs to be technically it goes from fifty to eighty-seven hours a quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, would would be you know available, and so that'll be during the prime time hours. But they're also going to move that, you know, right now the top five cable providers, so not just your NBCs and your Foxes and CBS and ABCs, but your top five cable providers. So right now it's like TBS and it was Disney, I think for a while. I don't know if they're still in the top five, but you know these cable channels mm-hmm. need to also have audio described programming. So they're expanding the number of hours, and then also the government is proposing. Now, these are all proposed. What they do is, before they make a final rule, they throw it out there into the world and get all the feedback and figure out what's the good, what's the bad, and and then they do a big analysis of that and make sure that the benefits outweigh the costs. They do a cost-benefit analysis. and Mm -hmm. Then the government kind of gives a green line and says, okay, this is good, let's go with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're also going to expand to 10 networks uh, in this proposal. Uh, which would be, you know, it would include, we, we often will get calls about, you know, well, this network, like TNT or, you know, Comedy Central or uh, <laughs> AMC, these other networks yeah. don't have described audio, and, and the, but people might think they do under the CBA, and actually they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it will move from the 5 to the 10. So uh, there's, some, there's some real good, we see benefits for that. Oh, yeah. You know, one of the concerns when this was passed, one of the pushbacks was that, well, there's not enough trained audio describers out there. Like, they, we couldn't be able to get this much program described. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, as many know that are part of our membership, we have our audio description project, which trains people, you know, twice a year typically. And uh, during our mid-year conference and our national conference, folks get training. And and we believe firmly that, you know, that's no longer an argument. There's plenty of folks out there who are trained in it. Um, there's Groups like Disney have done an outstanding job of getting all their content described for movie theaters, and they even have an app that you can get the app, and, and it'll sync up the audio description if you're in a theater or listening to any Disney show on TV. Mm. And so you can have the audio described on your mobile device, play in your headphones. As it hears the show, it syncs itself up to it through your phone. It's, it's very cool. So, oh, you know, yeah. there's folks out there that have been champions for this in the industry, and obviously in the advocacy world like ourselves. Um, so our hope is that, you know, we'll be able to to show that there's not, you know, that the benefits still outweigh the cost. As of today, there's been no network that has screamed, 
you know, they've been they've been bled dry economically <laughs> of, yeah. of having to spend all this money. You know, no right. one has complained undue hardship or undue burden, right. as the government says. You have a right to do, and then you don't have to do this. Our, our thought is that the stars are aligned in a sense to let our let ourselves be able to. to get this program, which is a, a big quality of life. Uh, there are going to be twice as many people who are blind in 10 years as there are now in this country. And, and so the, the demand is going to be higher. Mm-hmm. Well, but our hope is that we'll be able to, to persuade the, the FCC to, to, you know, again, uh, expand this programming. Well, it's, it's out there, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the comment period is open, and there are opportunities for people to, to there comment, are, yeah. anyone can comment. Anyone, and and it, when you go through the comments, it's interesting. You always do get the random. You know, you, you see a lot of citizens that do. This is an excellent way. Folks are always asking us, "What can we do to get engaged?" This is an excellent way to have your voice heard. In fact, on July 13th, we're going to be having a, a teleconference in the afternoon, in partnership with the American Foundation for the Blind, that will specifically focus on not just this, but also website access. But this will be be half the call will be basically getting folks up to speed on how to submit comments to the government. Because we want as many people as possible to, to, you know, upload their comments or write to the FCC and say just this, look, my quality of life has improved because of audio description, and I'd love to see more. So, you know, we'll be sending out a, 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 an announcement before our conference with all the, the call-in information. And then we'll be having the week after our national convention and conference in Minneapolis. We'll be having this teleconference. So our hope is that everybody listening to this now that has had positive experiences with the described audio you know, programming can, can weigh in. Mm-hmm. And we let the FCC and the industry know, because the industry reads the comments as well, uh, you know, to know that, look, there is a demand for this. And, mm-hmm. and it's only going to grow. It's only going to get larger. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's good. So we're looking forward to July 13 for the teleconference and lo- lots of information and how-tos at that time. In the meantime, if someone would like to submit a comment, uh, how would they go about doing that, Tony? So the FCC has, if, if you're a web person, uh, a web-savvy person, the FCC has their electronic comment filing system. Uh, and the way it works is you go in and you type in a certain code, not a code, but like it's called a docket number, because mm-hmm. they put so much stuff out there that you, it has to be referred to the right thing or else it gets lost in the melee of just <laughs> so many people weighing in on, mm-hmm. you know, if they hear something angry on television, they, they write the FCC. So, <laughs> you know, you got to make sure it gets to the right person. We'll be submitting all that information, but you can also just search the FCC website for audio description and you'll find it pretty quick. Um, and just make sure you have that right docket number and you can go. So comments are due... Uh, from the industry, stakeholders are due on the 27th of June. Okay. Uh, the reply comments, which means when the consumers can also read those comments and then reply themselves, those will be due July 26th, uh, conveniently on the oh. anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh, so okay. we have plenty of time. Uh, we'll be actually filing on behalf of our members. You'll be able to submit comments to me directly, and we will file on your behalf um, and be in touch with you about your name, Typically, they want to know an address, but you don't have to put that. But, you know, we'll be filing on your behalf and then getting those comments uploaded for our members. Oh, that'll be good. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we'll try to get that done by 
July 20th is our deadline to get that stuff done. So then the teleconference will come on the 13th. There will be information yeah. out there on how to submit the, com- the comments to you and so that you can submit on behalf mm-hmm. of everyone. Help, help cut through that red tape. That's a very good. That will be a very, very helpful to a lot of people. And, um, and then the, the deadline will be that we'll want to get that done by the 20th. And for us to so, upload, but yes. they, the, if, if yes. people aren't able to make that deadline, then they, they, then can, they can submit them themselves. Yeah, and you can mail them the to the FCC too. If you just mm-hmm. literally, if you just write Federal Communications Commission, Washington D.C., it'll get there. I know. see. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Tony. We appreciate all of the information today, and we look forward to positive results both on the currency issue and on audio description. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Carla. Have a great day. Page 3. When news came that Muhammad Ali had died and that he was going to be buried in Louisville, none of us had any idea of how large the celebration would be and what type of week we would live through. We want to share with you some of the events of this past week. It's one of those almost surreal happenings that you have to be here to believe it. The first inkling that this week was going to be really different happened last Sunday when I took an Uber to and from church. Both Uber drivers told me that they had been extremely busy. I always ask the Uber drivers if they're busy and how the rides are going. On that day, both drivers told me that they had been extremely busy on Sunday morning, which is unusual. And on the way home, I asked the driver how come he was so busy, because it it was not normal for him to be busy. And he said, oh, there are so many people coming in and out of town to pay tribute to Muhammad Ali. He said, it's just unbelievable. I've been to the airport so many times this morning. As the week unfolded, there were many, many, many other news stories and, and comments from people that indicated just how big this event was going to be. When my daughter Patty Cox came in to read one day, she commented that the private space at the Louisville International Airport, the area where private planes are parked for the Kentucky Derby, was absolutely jam-packed on Wednesday. And she said, I don't know where they're going to put any more planes. If anybody else comes to town, there's not going to be any room for them to fly in. On Wednesday, June 8th, A story appeared on Wave TV, which is our NBC affiliate here in Louisville, that said tickets are no longer being distributed for the Muhammad Ali Memorial service at the KFC Yum Center on Friday. Now keep in mind that there was a Muslim service at the fairgrounds on Thursday, and there were 14 or 15,000 people that attended that. And then on Friday, the uh, memorial service was being held at the KFC Young Center, which is where the University of Louisville plays basketball. And the story said, A large group of people lined up outside the Young Center as early as 4.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning. LMPD officers allowed the official line to form just before 6 a.m. Within an hour, the line stretched several blocks through downtown Louisville. The ticket windows were originally scheduled to open at 10 a.m., But the blinds came up at about 8.15, and tickets were handed out. By 9.15, the windows were closed, and the remainder of the people were turned away. Louisville resident Felicia Garr 
talked about why attending the memorial service is important to her. We're trying to keep an Ollie mentality of peace and organization, Gar said. We get the privilege of being there. It's free. I want to especially thank the Ollie family and Ollie himself for thinking enough of me to include me in his services. The average Joe, the community volunteer, I'm overwhelmed. Jay Johnson drove to Louisville from Cincinnati and was the first person in line. I was the first one here. Been here all night, Johnson said. There are folks here from everywhere. There's a guy here from London, folks from Chicago, but I was here first to make sure. This is history. Muhammad Ali was always interested in the children, and he graduated from uh, Central High School in Louisville in 1960. Central at that time was an all-black school, and Muhammad Ali is said to have often visited Central in his adult life. He would just show up unannounced and eat lunch with the kids, talk to the kids, and give the teenagers, hopefully, um, some direction in their lives. On Wednesday, Muhammad Ali's life was celebrated during an I Am Ali festival at the Kentucky Center. The festival was meant to inspire children and remind them that, like Ali, they have the power to become the greatest at whatever they choose if they are willing to work for it. There were a number of stories recounted during this week about Muhammad Ali. It was said that when he was attending school that he often would not ride the school bus. He'd run along beside the school bus in order to keep up his fitness and stay in shape. One news story this week talks about Ali's influence on the children in this way. It says, In the wake of Muhammad Ali's death, the influence of the worldly icon cannot be felt deeper than it does in his hometown. Hundreds recall one of the most significant gifts Ali gave to children in wave country, his time. In the early 90s, Muhammad Ali surprised students at Watterson Elementary. Former principal Stephen Harrison reminisced on the first time the legend arrived at the doorstep of the school. These white limos pulled in off Bardstown Road and came and parked right here in front of the school, Harrison said. Little did Harrison know this would be the start of a tradition. Throughout the following years, Ali and his wife Lonnie frequently visited the students of Watterson Elementary. The kids were having him sign anything they could find, Harrison said. They were signing Kleenexes, napkins from the cafeteria, he laughed. Lonnie's family lived in the subdivision across the street from the school, making Watterson Elementary a convenient location to stop in from time to time, according to Harrison. It was like they adopted us, Muhammad and Lonnie and the whole family, Harrison said. Ollie walked the halls, played pranks on the students to break the ice. He would tug on their ear to make them laugh because he wasn't able to talk much during that time, Harrison said. He did his magic tricks, levitating to make the kids think he was floating in the air. He did the handkerchief and thumb trick. Harrison recalled Ali and his wife volunteering as room parents, often surprising the students and helping out during special occasions. On Valentine's Day one year, the couple brought students Burger King Whoppers, fries, and milkshakes, according to Harrison. Ali even sat in a fourth grader's desk to enjoy his meal. Ollie was always willing to snap pictures with the students and staff and even signed a poster of himself that hung in the hallway. 
The poster encouraged students to enjoy reading as Ali was photographed clutching his favorite book, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It was so typical of Muhammad, Harrison smiled. Harrison recalled Muhammad and Lonnie participating in a fundraiser for a student who was diagnosed with cancer. The legend sat in the school's library for hours while each child took turns sitting on his knee for a photograph. Jordan Shepard is one of the students who cherishes his picture with Ali and said his visits left a lifelong impression. There was a big long line of kids, a long wait, Shepard said, but we had a lot of fun. He wasn't very talkative, and the effects of Parkinson's were visible, but he seemed to really enjoy it. The visit sculpted the way Shepard envisioned his future and the person he hoped to become. His spirit was incredible, Shepard said. He's been with presidents, royalty, and dignitaries, and then he has been at Watterson Elementary with the kids. I mean, that is remarkable for somebody to do something like that, Harrison said, when you don't have to do it. There was a free showing of the movie Ali at Iroquois Amphitheater on Thursday. The Iroquois Amphitheater is an outdoor area, and it was opened up free to the public. The movie features Muhammad Ali's early boxing career to his rise as a three-time world heavyweight champion, conscientious objection to the Vietnam War, and his conversion to Islam. The movie also features Will Smith as Ali, and Will Smith was one of his pallbearers. Mayor Greg Fisher said in the paper, Ever since we learned of the champ's passing, this community has been consumed with all things Ali. We've seen televised and printed tributes, remembrances on social media, and we've shared our own stories. And still, we cannot get enough. Another story on Wave 3 describes how the funeral procession for Ali flowed through the streets of Louisville. It said, For nearly three hours, what a sight it was to watch Muhammad Ali's funeral procession flow through the streets of Louisville. People showed their respect by throwing flowers and chanting Ali's name and his famous phrases, giving him a send-off many believe he would have been proud to see. From the moment the hearse prepared to leave A.D. Porter and Son's funeral home along Bardstown Road, it's out in the east end of the county around Fern Creek, Ali was never alone. The pallbearers who helped load the casket included boxers Mike Tyson and Lennox Lewis, actor Will Smith, and local personality John Ramsey. Louisville and the nation watched as the 23-mile journey took off. It headed for the expressways. The more than two dozen car procession was prepared to make some very important stops. No matter where you turned, people were watching, from the Second Street Bridge to the Bell of Louisville. The steamboat gave its own mournful salute as red and yellow balloons filled the sky. Crowds on the Belvedere cheered and waited as it made its way in front of the Muhammad Ali Center. The interstate was briefly shut down as the abstract pattern of the greatest came into focus for all to see. From here, it was on to 9th Street, where a camera was in every hand as all aimed to capture history and pay their respects. 
There's no generation Ali hasn't impacted. People of all ages watched the procession in all neighborhoods. They tossed more flowers and some even ran alongside the champ. The procession continued from Muhammad Ali Boulevard to the newly opened Ali Childhood Home Museum at 3302 Grand Avenue in the West End. As the motorcade made its way to Broadway, hands reached out to the world's hero. It was hard not to tear up as a boy practiced his punches alongside the hearse, channeling his inner Ali. The crowds only got bigger and the chants only got louder. That's especially true as it made its way to Cave Hill Cemetery, which was the final stop and the city's final goodbye to the greatest. And finally, this news story was filed about the memorial service that afternoon. Former President Bill Clinton, television host Brian Gumbel, and comedian Billy Crystal headlined a star-studded tribute to Muhammad Ali on the day he was laid to rest in Louisville. The three-and-a-half-hour memorial service took place in front of a packed house at the KFC Yum Center in downtown and followed the 23-mile caravan through the streets of the city in which Ali grew up. The procession started late and took longer than expected because of the estimated 100,000 people lining the streets. All hoped to get a glimpse of the hearse that carried Ali's 74-year-old body to Cave Hill Cemetery. Others were more bold and stepped into the street to touch the hearse. Ali decided early to write his own story and to not be disempowered. President Bill Clinton said near the end of the service, he never got the credit for being as smart as he was, and he never got until later the credit for being as wise as he was. The 42nd U.S. President followed Brian Gumbel, a longtime friend of Ali's. Some of us who were young, somewhat talented, and black will never forget what he freed within us, Gumbel said. Comedian Billy Crystal preceded Gumbel and opened with a joke about the long list of speakers scheduled before and after him. We are about at the halfway point, he started, prompting a full round of laughter from his audience. I was clean-shaven when this started. Host and longtime Ali friend John Ramsey also charmed the crowd with anecdotes about impersonations of the greatest. The procession paused periodically at sites of note, such as the Muhammad Ali Center at 144 North 6th Street, the African American Heritage Foundation at 1701 Muhammad Ali Boulevard, and the Muhammad Ali Childhood Home and Museum on Grand Street. Mourners held up signs, wore boxing gloves, and threw flowers at the hearse, which eventually was covered with them by the time it rolled east on Broadway through the city's busy downtown area under sun-kissed skies. You might also be interested to know that Jerry Ellis, the brother of Jimmy Ellis, who was Ollie's former sparring partner and another former heavyweight champ, was also a pallbearer. There were 14 honorary pallbearers, including Ali's brother, Rahman Ali, former Kentucky Governor John Y. Brown, Jr., Howard Bingham, the Binghams once owned the Louisville Courier-Journal and WHAS Radio and TV, George Foreman, Larry Holmes, 
and former Louisville Mayor Harvey Sloan. Other speakers at the memorial service included Dr. Stephen Cosby, senior pastor of Louisville's St. Stephen Baptist Church. He was the first speaker, and he was followed by a number of other faith leaders, including Senator Orrin Hatch, the senior Republican senator from Utah with whom Ali forged a lengthy friendship and who represented the Mormon faith, Reverend Monsignor Henry Kriegel, the pastor of St. Patrick Catholic Parish in Erie, Pennsylvania, who is a friend of Ali's attorney, Dr. Timothy Giannotti, founder of the Islamic Institute for Spiritual Formation in Toronto, Rabbi Michael Lerner, who worked with Ali in the peace movement that challenged the Vietnam War, Chief Sidney Hill and Chief Oren Lyons, leading voices for the rights of Native Americans, Rabbi Joe Rapport, and Venerable Utsumi and Sister Denise. Following a reading by Ambassador Shabazz, founder of the Humanity Passport Project, senior advisor to President Obama, Valerie Jarrett read a statement from the Commander-in-Chief. Ali's widow, Lani Ali, and daughters, Mariam Ali, Rashida Ali Walsh, and Alessandra Ali de Nicola also eulogized him, as did University of Louisville student Natasha Mundkur, a former member of the Muhammad Ali Center Council of Students. Finally, I received two emails this week that I think are particularly appropriate. The first is from a person named Chad Willett. I don't know Chad Willett, but emails I receive from him are usually motivational in nature. That email was read at our roundabout on Friday, and we're going to bring you that reading because it's followed by a comment by Gary Thomas from Shepherdsville, who attends Roundabout, that I think is also very appropriate. This being, having so much this week about Muhammad Ali in the news, I received an email this morning. Anyway, I wanted to kind of share some of this with you, and maybe we could just stop and discuss a couple of things. Some of the quotes in here really do relate not only to just people in general, but they also have a lot to relate to as far as how we see ourselves as people with disabilities. And the subject line of this was, I am the greatest power of words. It says, challenging traditional and conventional thinking. I am the greatest power of words. Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest, and he was the champ. When interviewed, Ali said he kept telling himself and others that he is the greatest, hoping that it would come true someday. And sure enough, it did. But where the power lies are the words that he used to describe himself. Greatest, champ, butterfly, fast, make medicine sick. <laughs> I think that's great. I know, it's tremendous. The words we use to describe ourselves has a huge impact on our self-esteem, confidence, and our successes and failures in life. The more we believe in ourselves and our abilities, the greater the chance we have of being more successful, 
having meaningful relationships, and conquering the battles we want to conquer. Ali had an incredible talent, work ethic, and charisma. However, he wouldn't have had the success he had if he didn't use the words he used. There is something to be said about saying things out loud and having them come to fruition. When we tell people we have value, we add value, we are worth loving, these words take on a life of their own. We become framed by the words we use, both positively and negatively. It is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we believe in ourselves and our abilities, we will begin to have successes. However, if we don't believe in ourselves and our abilities and use negative words to describe ourselves, that too often become our reality. Again, think of Ali. Everything he says about himself is positive. And they have 10 quotes here. Number 10, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. Number nine, another quote from Ali. I'm not the greatest, I'm the double greatest. <laughs> Number eight, it's not bragging if you can back it up. <laughs> Number seven, it's just a job. Grass grows, birds fly, waves pound the sand. I beat people up. <laughs> Number six, I'm so mean I make medicine sick. <laughs> Number five, a man who views the world the same at 50 as he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. Think about that. I think that is really true. If you just sit still, you're never going to go anywhere and you just waste time. Number four, impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact. It's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration. It's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. Number three, if you even dream of beating me, you'd better wake up and apologize. <laughs> Number two, don't count the days, make the days count. And number one, of course, <laughs> float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. George thinks he will, but I know he won't. <laughs> that was when he was going to fight George Foreman. Yeah. While on the flip side of the coin, someone who has been told they are a loser, they are no good, and won't amount to anything in life, believe in these words and are held captive by them. They will go through life struggling with their confidence, self-esteem, and belief in themselves, both personally and professionally. What words do you use to describe yourself? Are you the greatest? And that's the end of that post. What do y'all think about that? That's great.
Uh, they were playing a lot of his quotes this morning. I was watching the wave, yeah. a lot of the wave things on t on Wave TV on my app. That's why it was on my phone and it wouldn't turn off. But the one I liked the best was when he was getting ready to fight Sonny Liston, and he said, "You know, Liston was too ugly to be champ." And Ollie said, "You know, I, I I'm I'm the greatest. I'm I'm pretty. I ought to be the champ, and I will be. You know, and I mean, it's just he's too ugly to be champ." <laughs> and I mean, it, it was hilarious. But, and, and people, that, oh, he's just arrogant and stuff. But you know what? The guy was, um, he was incredible. Well, anyway, I just thought that that would be a neat thing to share tonight because one of the things about when, when we all come into Roundabout each, each week, I think that, um, you know, sometimes we may all just sit around and visit, may just come and have a good time. Or we may have some specific things we want to do, or we may just want to come and be with people. There's been, in the last year and a half, I think there's been tons and tons of successes in Roundabout. And little bitty things. They don't have to be big things. And there's been some pretty big things, too. I mean, David learning Braille, starting out and learning it from July and being able to read magazines by March, that's a pretty big accomplishment. But there's... Uh, there's all kinds of other accomplishments too, and you know, Gary, I hear you've got all your you're labeling all your things and your CDs and stuff. I mean, that's an accomplishment. Oh, Gary. When they gave out the tickets for his funeral and stuff, you had some that took advantage of the situation, and because of that, I heard a lot of people really downgrade the whole situation. Now, a lot of them didn't know. What was going on? They was going by, well, you know, these guys put it on the internet and selling them all this. But what they don't appreciate is, yes, he born, raised in Louisville. He's very successful boxing, but he also was successful fighting outside the ring. He's the only man that I can think of that has united a whole world. And, I mean, and I'm talking from country to country to country, not state to state. You know, uh, the Muslims were here yesterday, and, you know, there's people that just maybe short-sightedness. But that has a lot to say about the man when he can bring all the different religions, the different people, you know, the different ways of the world to one place. This world lost a great man. You know, he, he really lost, we lost a great man, and there will not be anyone like him ever again. And, you know, I, I miss him. And I remember him and Howard Cosell, you know, going at it on TV. And, I mean, but they were great friends. And, you know, this world has lost a lot. But I'll tell, tell you what he's doing. He's looking at the Lord and he said, I hope you got it ready up there for me because there's going to be no one else like me up there. And finally, to conclude our feature on Muhammad Ali and this incredible week, we have an email from Cass Irvin. Cass is not blind. She is a sighted member of KCB. Cass is in a wheelchair and has been in a wheelchair because of polio that she suffered as a child. Her email says it all when it comes to Muhammad Ali as she talks about him lighting the torch at the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. She says, 
1996, Muhammad Ali became a personal hero of mine. I remember the excitement and anticipation, the speculation around the opening of the Olympics in Atlanta, and about who was going to be the person to carry the torch to light the flame. The tradition of carrying the torch is very important, and it is symbolic because local people from all over the country, often unsung community heroes, get to carry it part of the way. It gave us all a chance to be involved with this exciting event. The person chosen to light the torch at the opening of the Olympics is symbolic too. There were rumors everywhere. Muhammad Ali was a prime candidate. Wouldn't that be something, I thought. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this man, this hero, a person with an obvious disability, were the chosen one to carry the Olympic torch for all of us? But that obviously disabled part, I was certain, would knock him out of the running. Disability signifies unable, doesn't it? So you can imagine my amazement when I, along with about 3 billion television viewers, watched Muhammad Ali walk out into the dark night carrying the torch. The sight of this large man with the effect of Parkinson's visible in a white gym suit climbing with his torch against a dark sky to light the Olympics was inspiring in the right way. Muhammad Ali is my hero because he did not overcome his disability. He learned to live with it. He adapted to it and lived with it, like most people with disabilities do, and he prevailed. So along with the rest of the country, I honor Muhammad Ali, a great man, the most famous athlete in the world, and a true hero. And if you don't mind, I'll claim him as one of our own, Cass Urban. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar On June 17, the GLCB Roundabout will include the following activities. Braille instruction beginning at 3.30, iPhone instruction beginning at 4, genealogy from 3.30 to 5, Accessible apps for your iPhone with Joe Martin, or Joe Elliott, from 5 until 6, dinner 6 to 7, and music, games, and crafts beginning at 7 p.m. All activities are at the United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On June 18, the American Printing House for the Blind invites everyone to Braille for the Sighted, workshops for young people. This is the first in a series of two workshops this summer. It will take place from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. You'll learn the basics of Braille and practice writing on a slate and a Braille writer. Advanced students will learn about Braille contractions, whole word signs, and more. Attend one or both sessions. It's for ages 8 and up. It's free, but registration is required. Call the Printing House Museum at 502-899-2213 for more information. Also on June 18, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind is holding a dine-out at 2 in the afternoon at the Cottage Inn, 570 Eastern Parkway in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On June 19, the KSB Alumni Board will meet by conference call at 8 p.m. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. 
On June 20, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its monthly conference call meeting at 8 p.m. on the same conference line, 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On June 21, the Tri-State Library users will have a conference call, and everyone is invited across the country. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us for a special program with Lynn Ramondo, author of the Mark Angelotti crime novels. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On June 24 will be another GLCB roundabout. Education and technology from 3.30 to 5, discussion 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, $5 per person, and the guide dog users of Kentucky will sponsor a walk after dinner at 7 p.m. Then there will be games and crafts until 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries on State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On June 25 is the Bards and Storytellers for this summer at the American Printing House for the Blind. Karen Karsh will be the guest, 1230 to 3 p.m. Enjoy a performance and Q&A with Karen Karsh, a blind Colorado singer and songwriter who writes about big moments and moments that just feel big. At the Printing House, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue, register by calling the museum at 502-899-2213. On June 27, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will have its next membership call. It's at 7 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. July 1 through 9 is the 55th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind. The theme is ACB, Land of 10,000 Dreams, and the week will be packed with lots and lots of programs, workshops, tours, exhibits, and much more. Being held at the Hyatt Regency Hotel, 1300 Nicolette Mall in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Rooms are $89 a night plus state and local tax. Room reservations, call 888-421-1442. Mention the convention to ensure the convention rate. Pre-registration is open through June 22. Call 800-866-3242 to register by phone or visit online at www.acbconvention.org. July 9 is Cinema Saturday. The film will be Daredevil from 2003. 12.30 12.30 to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. This is an audio-described movie that features an important visually impaired character. It's rated PG-13. It's free. Registration is required. Call 502-899-2213. July 10 is the ACB Next Generation meeting by conference call. The time is 8 p.m. And the phone number is 605-475-6006, and the code is 294444. July 12 is the next Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired Savvy meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. July 12 to 14 is the Gateways 2016 Conference at the Kentucky School for the Blind. This is a summer in-service training for Kentucky's vision teachers. 
For more information, call the school at 502-897-1583 and contact Beth Baker at extension 7105. On July 14, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its next conference call meeting at 7 p.m. The number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. On July 15, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its first July roundabout with Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5 p.m., Discussion, 5 to 6, Dinner, $5 per person from 6 to 7, and dinner that night will be pizza, and games and crafts from 7 to 10. Call 895-4598 to sign up. On July 16 is the second workshop in the Braille for the Sighted series at the APH Museum. Contact them to sign up at 502-899-2213. On July 17, the KSB alumni will hold its last board meeting before the 2016 reunion. It'll be at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On July 18, KCB will hold its July board meeting at 8 p.m. on the same conference line. July 22 will be the next GLCB roundabout with the usual schedule. Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5. Discussion time, 5 to 6. Dinner, 6 to 7. And Games and Crafts from 7 to 10. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On July 25, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will have its July conference call at 7 p.m. on the line at 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. And on July 29, will be the last GLCB roundabout for the month of July. More information and to sign up, 502-895-4598. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.